Galatians chapter 5. We continue in our series through Paul's letter to the Galatians. This morning we are in chapter 5 and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. And the title of our sermon this morning is Walk by the Spirit. And our key words for our worshipers in training are spirit, flesh, and desire. Now, it's always been interesting to me that so many theologians and preachers throughout the years have struggled somewhat with the words of the Apostle Paul that he writes in Romans chapter 7, which relates to our text today. There's all kinds of debates about whether or not Paul was talking about himself before he was a Christian or after he was converted, or what exactly is going on, and if it was after he's converted, how could it be true? And you know, to me, I just feel like I need to look no further than about five minutes before now and five minutes after to know exactly what Paul was talking about. I've really never struggled with understanding Paul's words in Romans 7 because I feel like I live them every single day. Let me read them to you, and maybe you can relate. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Now, maybe you've been addicted to something before. Maybe you are right now. Whether it's something that seems as harmless as biting your fingernails or it's something as harmful as doing drugs. Whatever it is, you've probably felt this struggle in those things as well as many others. It's a a tug of war between what you want to do in your heart and what you end up doing in your flesh. It is, as Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, we all have things in our lives as Christians that we say to ourselves, I'm never doing that again. I don't want to do that. I really want that to be gone from my life. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I want it all behind me so I can move on. I can walk faithfully and not have the guilt and the shame and the defeat and all the disappointment that comes with it. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I live in that world pretty regularly. The world of not doing what I want But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. As we might say in modern parlance, the struggle is real. And it's no wonder that it's difficult and sometimes confusing for Christians that we have this struggle because we know, Paul has taught us through Galatians, we know that we are not obligated to sin. When we were not Christians, all we could ever do was sin. We couldn't not sin before we knew Christ. But as Christians, we're not obligated to sin. 
We have all of the resources that are necessary to not walk in sin. But you know what happens. We still do it anyway. Which makes the whole problem even more difficult to work through and comprehend. It increases the guilt and the shame that comes with sin. It led the Apostle Paul to say in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This morning we're going to look at this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And and as we focus on verses 16 through 18 in Galatians 5, we're going to do things a bit differently. Instead of looking at each verse individually, I want to look at the whole and draw out a few principles for us that I hope will be useful to us. If you're using your blue ESV Bible in the seat back, you can find our text on page 975. And we're starting to get into some very familiar territory for most Christians. And I would say these are some of the more important verses for us to understand in the Bible. These passages we will be looking at over the next several weeks. They help us to understand the nature and the trajectory of a healthy Christian life. How it is to be worked out in a way that is faithful to what God desires from his children. So let's read together verses 16 through 18 of Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The first observation I want to make this morning is to correct what seems to be a common misconception, whether we realize we think this way or not. Paul really alludes to this in his discussion on this battle between flesh and spirit. And that's this, our first observation, is that believing the right things does not necessarily change your character. Believing the right things does not necessarily change your character. There seems to be two common ways that Christians usually think about what we believe. One is to say, well, I simply believe in Jesus and that's enough. We don't need to concern ourselves with anything else. The study of doctrine and theology and wrangling with difficult texts, trying to understand the nature and the character of God, seeking to work all these things out, is quite a waste of time so long as we believe in Jesus We just need to live our lives knowing that one day we will die and go to heaven. The other way, quite opposite of that, is that we tend to think about what we believe and that everything we believe is absolutely essential. And if others don't understand something exactly the same way I understand it, they're clearly not believing things appropriately They may not even be Christians because Lord knows we all need to know the difference between infra and superlapsarianism. And we must be able to fight for our position to the death so we aren't swept away into radical heresy 
that will disgrace the church and destroy the gospel. Which one of these do you default to? We love extreme positions, don't we? Finding the middle of the road is often very difficult for us. But the implication of what Paul's getting at here is that it is entirely possible for us to even hold a very extreme position that everything I believe must be right and you must believe it as well. We can believe all of those right things even, but we can do so without ever actually walking in them and applying them. So what difference does what we believe make? What can happen is that we, we live as dead believers. In other words, we can live under the saving grace of God that he has saved us with, but never live in the experience of God's grace day by day. So we're living by the flesh instead of living by the Spirit. We can be good repenters, but bad livers, because repentance is not the end of the Christian life. The end of the Christian life is that I have communion with God. And so often we forget that, but it's exactly what Paul is driving at, you see. What is it to walk by the Spirit? It is to live with God as God. Let me explain. What does, what does Paul mean when he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh in verse 16? Or in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, he means several things, but let me try to simplify one part of this for us. The Bible uses the term walk to refer to our conduct, how we live. We are to, to walk or to live by or in the Spirit. In other words, we are to live our Christian lives in dependence upon the Holy Spirit and be led by Him. But what Paul is reminding us is that all of us, even as Christians, we have sin remaining in our lives. We never graduate from being sinners in this life. Now, there are two kinds of sinners. The natural man who is pure flesh. He does not have the spirit of God within him. He is beholden to his flesh. But there's also the regenerate person, the one who has been born again, the one who has the spirit of God dwelling within them. However, they still have the remnant of sin, which Paul is calling here in uh, verse 17, the desire of the flesh. And this remnant of sin is active in our appetites, in our our lusts. It's a great source of temptation. And Satan acts on it and responds to the sinful enticements of the world. So in some ways, this will leave us all feeling a bit beat up. But I want to work us back around to smooth it out. In Romans 8.14, Paul writes, All who are children of God are led by the Spirit. All children of God, everyone who is in the family of God through faith in Christ is led by the Spirit of God. And what he means by that is everyone who has the Spirit. And who has the Spirit? 
Well, to be a child of God means that you have the spirit of the Father residing in you. We can say that's what it means to be a Christian in one sense. Christians are people who have the Holy Spirit residing within them. So when he says, if you are being led by the Spirit, in verse 18, and he goes on later to write in a passage we'll look at in a few weeks, if you're led by the Spirit, you will be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. These character traits, these qualities of character will be growing in you if you are in the Spirit. And I want you to see what a challenge that is to us. Now, on the one hand, we have to be careful. There's a balance here that we need to strike. If you know anything about fruit trees, for the first few years of their growth, fruit starts out awfully small. I've been growing a peach tree. I love peaches. And when I moved to Georgia 12 years ago, I thought all I would eat was peaches. Come to find out they grow more peaches in South Carolina. So much for that. I've been growing a peach tree for five years in my backyard. And I still have not gotten a peach off of there that is large and juicy and ready to eat. It'll probably be another two years. It takes time. When it starts out the first few years, the fruit is small. It's not very useful. So you see, in our Christian lives, it is possible to have the fruit of the Spirit growing within you, but it be so small that it's easy to miss. It's It's easy to overlook. However, Paul really is giving us a challenge here. It's sort of a gut check. He says, look, believe everything you want that is good and sound and proper, but if you are not growing in all of these qualities of character that come from the Spirit, you cannot be certain that you are a Christian. Just because you believe the right things doesn't mean a whole lot. What does it look like in your life? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33, how do you know a tree is alive if it has fruit on it? If there's no fruit on that tree, then you are dead. So maybe you're wondering, where do we see all of this in these three verses? Well, this really is a critical aspect of the whole argument throughout the remainder of chapter 5. If I am indulging the flesh, it really doesn't matter what I believe, does it? Living for the desires of my flesh is going to nullify the significance of anything I believe is true. Why? Well, just because I believe it's true doesn't make it useful to me. Does that make sense? So that's a a significant factor in my understanding the relationship between the flesh and the spirit. If the spirit is in me, there will be fruit. If the spirit is not in me, or if I'm essentially ignoring the spirit that lives within me, I will continually indulge the flesh so that all that I know and all that I believe about God will be of little use to me. You realize the Bible is always coming back to the heart. It is a constant full court press to look inward and not to just think we can give mental assent to a few things that are true and be okay. It is crucial. It is very important to understand what the Bible says, that we would have sound doctrine. But if it doesn't translate into fruitful living, 
however small that fruit might be, we need to check our hearts. Believing the right thing doesn't necessarily change my character. And if my character is not being changed, I need to wonder if the Spirit is dwelling within me at all. Now, the second implication is something we've danced around a bit, but it should help us smooth the argument a bit so we can breathe. Maybe you're feeling suffocated by the reality of what we're saying here. Our second observation is this. Every Christian has two natures, the flesh and the spirit. We see this especially in verse 17. Look at that verse again. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh and the spirit have competing desires, and both of those natures reside within you if you are a Christian. Now, in the Bible, the word flesh can be used in a few different ways. But when Paul's using this word flesh, he's not just talking about the physical body. He's dealing with the bent or our focus on the whole person, body and soul. The mind, the will, the emotions, all of this is contained in this idea of the flesh. And specifically, he's dealing with the inclination that a person has in their life to rebel against God, even when they are Christians. Now, we all know that when we first became Christians, we don't just move beyond the struggle with sin. It just takes place in a different way. I, I get to see people become Christians quite often. And I will tell you, there are some really messy situations that the Lord saves his people out of. And when he does, it takes time. Some of you are really screwed up. But praise God that he saved you. I count myself in that category. I'm still screwed up. But it takes time. When we first become Christians, we don't know the Bible all of the sudden. Our way of thinking and how we reason through situations and make decisions and talk about God, all of this takes time. And we don't instantly see changes in every aspect of our lives. But what is happening is that the old fight is being put away. And now we have a new fight that comes to the forefront. Before you were a Christian, you only had one fight and one enemy. It was God. He was your enemy, and he was who you were fighting with. You may not have known you were fighting God, but you were kicking against everything he created you to do, to worship and to glorify him. All human beings were built to worship him and to center their lives on him, and you centered your life on lots of other things. And because you centered your life on lots of other things, you experienced breakdown in your life. To live without God is like trying to pull a wagon without wheels. It might kind of work. You can drag it along and it'll get all scraped up and torn up. And eventually, as time goes on, you'll find it's less and less of a wagon. You're leaving it all over the place. 
And to live without God is the same way. You can move, maybe you can move forward in some way, but it's not the way you were built. And so you're working against what God has created you to be and to do, and you feel this fight. But when you become a Christian, there's peace with God. There's a terrific amount of peace. The moment you become a Christian, the Spirit indwells you, and you you begin to be reoriented. Perhaps it takes time, but that reorientation is taking place. Now, holiness begins to matter. Now you have a yearning to know God through his word. You're starting to experience love and joy and peace and patience that you never had before. But the problem is, while you live life in this earth, you can't just live the part of the Christian life that is all about walking in the spirit. You still have this other part which was all you used to live for, called the flesh. And even though you're a Christian, even though you don't have to sin, that flesh part of you still tends to want to live for yourself and to be selfish, even though the other part of you has a very strong desire to live for God. So you have a fight. It's not against God like it was before, but it's, it's between these two natures, against the flesh, against the spirit. So it's a different kind of fight. You needed to lose that first fight against God. And eventually everyone is going to one way or another. You will not win a fight against God. But the new fight is a fight with the old self against the flesh. And you have to win it. Utilizing all of the means of grace that you will grow in strength and understanding and faithfulness and worship. Think of it this way. There are two different ways we can wear our bodies out. One is completely unwanted and unhelpful, while the other is calculated and useful over the long run. The first way is when we are just completely unthoughtful and don't plan things out and we get ourselves confused, we get ourselves in a bind, so we find ourselves rushing all over, wasting lots of time and energy going back and forth because we can't find something or we lost something or whatever. I know you guys have a perfect place. You hang your keys and you never forget where they are, right? They're not like in your pocket in the dryer and you have to leave for work. You're already 10 minutes late. So you're rushing around the house trying to find everything. I bought something that I can push on my phone and my keys will beep at me so I can find them in the house because we've had that problem a time or two. And we've all been there, haven't we? We waste tons of energy and time rushing about because we didn't prepare or we didn't plan or we didn't work out the details. And so we're frantic and we're wearing ourselves down. Well, that's not helpful and it's completely unwanted. And unless you are a very sanctified Christian, it will probably frazzle you and make you anxious and angry and frustrated with yourself and with others. That's not a good way to wear your bodies down. The other way we can wear our bodies out is planned. We can go to the gym or walk on the golf course or take a run around the neighborhood. It's something that we plan. It's something with a purpose. And although it's tiring and although it wears you down, 
The benefit is that your body is being strengthened because of the movement and the exercise. It's carefully crafted. It has a purpose. That's a good kind of way to be worn down, a good thing to fight through and to fight for. There's an end that's being met with a pursuit that is tiring yet fulfilling. It's helpful. It's rewarding. It brings peace. So the old fight that we had against God wears you down in a very unhelpful way. In fact, it's a way that makes the fight even more and more difficult because we grow more and more frustrated when we never win it. But in the new fight, we have a good fight. It's one we must fight. It builds us up. It strengthens us. Now, if we don't continue in it, we will atrophy, we will grow lazy, or what was firm is no longer as firm as it was, and so things go back to what they were before, back to a lost focus, confused decisions, lack of plans, anxiousness, all of these things. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're realizing, you know, there really isn't much fight about my life at all. I'm just not fighting. As a Christian. And you know what happens when Christians stop fighting? The flesh wins. Every single time. There are always people sitting in churches who have just decided not to fight. And so you don't see the warring and the conflict that goes on as they're seeking to defeat sin and walk in faithfulness. So they're just sort of limping through the Christian life. Maybe that's you. Vaguely thinking about God and his word and his purposes in your life, but there's no fight in you. There's no fight against the flesh. You just continually find yourself giving in. And it manifests itself in all sorts of ways, in your relationships with others and how you communicate with other people, in whether or not you're content in your circumstances and how things are playing out in your home and in your church and at work. And I'm guessing all of us know exactly what I'm talking about here. This is is the raging war between our two natures, our flesh and the spirit. How many times have you vowed that every day you're going to read your Bible and pray? Every single day. How many times have you vowed that whatever your particular sin of choice is, you are going to take all the tangible steps to get away from it and turn away from it, but you're going to leave the door open just a little bit because you might want to go back to it. And you know that feeling. You're running, you're doing well, you're lifting, you're eating great, but then all of a sudden there it is again. And you get lazy and you hold back and then you say, what happened? I'm all out of sorts. I I wasn't. I was doing good. What happened? Doing the things we don't want to do and not doing the things we want and ought to do. What would happen today if you said, walking out from here, I'm going to give myself to 30 minutes of prayer and Bible reading every single day, no matter what, 30 minutes every day, I will do this by God's grace. Now, some of you do that, and I'm very thankful for it. But if you don't, if this isn't a regular part of your life, you try that and tell me what happens. 
You'll see what a fight is. Everything in your body, everything in your schedule, everything in the world and your flesh and the devil will come after you and everything will seek to move you off that course almost as if it might be important. If you're doing things right at all and making an effort to grow in Christ, if you start looking at your life in the ways that we're suggesting if you start doing an analysis of your life and you, and you don't see some of the fruit of the Spirit that's there and you say, I'm going to do something about that, there's going to be a fight. And I will tell you, if there isn't a battle going on in that, then you have a lack of real, all-out allegiance to the Master, a lack of faithfulness. We need to have a fight on our hands as Christians. Go ahead, just start doing what the Bible calls you to do and see if the flesh doesn't begin to war against the spirit. These two natures will be in constant battle within you. Which one will win? Third observation, sanctification unlike justification, requires hard work and will ebb and flow depending on our efforts. Now, up until this point in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he has continually emphasized the free nature of salvation. When we talk about this, justification by faith alone, what we are saying is that we are saved And we become Christians and we are made right with God completely and totally apart from any effort of our own whatsoever. Our salvation, our being justified is a work of God done by him to me, not because of anything I have contributed. So my works in terms of my being justified are worthless. Further, I don't need to do good works to stay justified. If I am a Christian, I am united to Christ and will forever be with Christ, no exceptions. However, after I am justified, after I become a Christian, I now begin the process of sanctification. And what Paul is moving into for the rest of the book of Galatians is teaching on sanctification. Unlike being justified, being sanctified does require something of me. This is the hard work of obedience. This is the hard work of utilizing all of the means of grace to grow in Christ's likeness. And and depending on my effort toward holiness, my communion with God, my experience of God's grace in my life will ebb and flow. Why do I bring this up? Notice the language Paul is using in these verses. He talks about walking. He talks about doing what you want to do. He talks about being led. All of these are words implying action. But none of it nullifies all that Paul has said up until this point about justification because he's not talking about that. So tied to verse 17 in our earlier point is this issue of whether or not we are walking in the Spirit and whether or not we are being controlled by our flesh. You know, I I think it's probably safe to say that collectively, for those of you who are members of Ephesus Church, 
I probably know more about your hearts collectively than anyone else in here. That's a scary thought. I've had intimate opportunities to talk with you, to have you share your stories and your fears and your failures and your victories. It's a unique privilege that a pastor has to hear from each person, to share those aspects of your lives with you. But there's something that does to me more and more as the years go on. It simply goes to prove to me that every single one of us, without exception, is in need of the very same things. And those things are gifts from God, and they're actually quite simple, but are extremely and extraordinarily powerful. Some of you can attest to the fact that if you come to me and tell me about a particular sin going in your life or you're lacking in communion with God or something along those lines, at some point I'm going to ask you, how are you doing with the means of grace? Are you reading your Bible or listening to sermons throughout the week? Are you praying? How's your church attendance? Are you going to a small group, talking about the word with other believers, gathering together with the saints? If you and I are going to win the battle against the flesh, the means God gives us to do that are really quite simple. We must utilize them. And if we're not utilizing them, we can't have any hope for victory. That's why what we're going to do in a few minutes in partaking of the Lord's Supper is so critical. It is part of this. It is one of those things that we do that we continue walking by the Spirit. So, yes, your communion with God, your experience of grace is going to ebb and flow, but that is a strong indicator that it's time to look at your life and say, what am I doing here? What am I not doing? What, what needs to happen so that I can grow in my communion with God? Do you, do you ever notice that when you're not utilizing the means of grace, everything is a lot more irritating to you? You get angry at little things that never used to bother you before. You're much more accepting of things that God isn't accepting of. Being with God's people, talking about the scriptures is less appealing to you or it's a chore instead of being something that's filled with joy. I hope none of you ever thought the Christian life was going to be easy. It's reported that during the war between the states, see I've been here 12 years, I'm learning how to say that. The war between the states at the Battle of Manassas On a Sunday in July of 1861, many spectators gathered on a hillside to watch the battle between the Union and the Confederacy to include senators and common townsfolk and even several women. They weren't in the battle. They just wanted to watch it from a safe distance. That strikes me as odd. (laughs) That's a very strange thing to want to do on a Sunday afternoon. But you know, sometimes as Christians, I think we have that mentality. I don't want to be in the battle. I just want to watch it from a safe distance. And hopefully I'll benefit from it somehow, some way. But as Christians, we don't have that option. We cannot just sit back and watch the Christian life happen without putting ourselves in harm's way. 
If we're not in the war, we will get trampled. And the flesh will win again and again and again. And then we'll get to the end of our lives and we'll look back over all of it and see very little progress in becoming more like Christ because we just didn't want to fight. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be sanctified, we must fight. And by the power of the Spirit within us, we have already been assured of a victory. Keep pressing forward toward the enemy. He has already been defeated. And in relationship to that, we see our final observation this morning. Lastly, we are truly free when we walk by the Spirit. Earlier in Galatians, you might remember I used the term over-desire to define the things that we do to gratify our flesh. And those desires that we have might not in and of themselves be something that's wrong or sinful, but when they begin to consume us, when they become objects of worship in the place of God in our lives, they're no longer healthy or acceptable desires. They are over-desires. And what Paul is teaching us now is how it is that we can be free from our over-desires, how we can walk joyfully with God. Those over-desires are what Paul is drawing attention to in verse 17, the desires of the flesh. But I want you to notice something else. He also talks about the desires of the Spirit. What does the Spirit desire? Well, the Spirit loves Jesus. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. The Spirit is the best man. The Spirit is also the maid of honor. The Spirit is the person who has brought us together. The Spirit is always saying, look how beautiful. Not the bride, but the bridegroom. Look how beautiful he is. And the Spirit is always looking and seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ and saying, the whole reason you don't have self-control, the whole reason you are lacking in love, the whole reason you're worried is that you don't see how beautiful Christ is. You just don't see it. Walking in the Spirit means that your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. And when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you're becoming more like him. And you are, verse 18, not under the law. In other words, you're not still trying to do what the old you was doing when you were just always trying to be a good person and and do good works to earn favor with God so you could say you were a good person. No, when you walk in the Spirit, your eyes are on Jesus. And when your eyes are on Jesus, you're not looking to the law to justify you. You're looking to Jesus who has already justified you. And now all that you do, you do for him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You're thankful for him. You are grateful for what he has accomplished for you. And you know so profoundly how what he has done is far greater than anything you deserve or could even think of or ask for. You want to please him. You want to tell others about him. You want to live for him. 
And so when you start looking away from him to your flesh and the desires of your flesh, you feel the grips of slavery again. You feel that yoke being placed on your back again. And the spirit is saying, get your eyes back on Jesus. I'm going to give you an example of how we put all this together. And then we will share the Lord's Supper. Think of this. I have two options. And this is going to show the difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit, even though we're trying to do the same thing. If I think about how I love someone, I can do it with one of two motives. One way is I can love this person because, this, because if this other person loves me, then I'll know that I am finally worth something. I'll invest myself in this person because if that person really loves me, then I'll know that I've made it. So what's that all about? Or who's that all about, I guess? It's about me. It's self-serving from start to finish. That's not really love. On the other hand, I can love someone because Jesus Christ has filled me up. He has loved me, and as a result of that, I want to love others, so I want to, uh, I want to please them, and I want to serve them. That's selfless. That's sacrificial. That is having our eyes on Jesus. And here's the thing Paul's pointing us to. When I'm doing that, I am so free because I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to work for something. I'm not trying to get you to like me or to love me back or find me worthy or valuable because my eyes are on Jesus and in him he has already made everything right for me. Here's how that works in my context. And this is a safe place. I know that, or my flesh wouldn't let me say this. There are two ways I can come up here and preach a sermon. And I assure you, I admit, I've done both. I can preach from the flesh, or I can preach from the spirit. On the one hand, I can get up here with an attitude saying, to myself, you better give it all you've got and you better preach well because if you don't, these people won't like you anymore. They won't come back. They'll go somewhere else. They'll get rid of you. And what's the fruit of doing that for me? Well, if it goes well, then pride will puff me up. Or if it doesn't go so well, then I feel utter defeat when it doesn't achieve the goals I want it to achieve. And it makes for a very, very blue Sunday afternoon and Monday morning. Isn't that awful? (laughs) Just saying that out loud is a bit embarrassing and it sounds so ridiculous and prideful. But you know, it's completely true. Hopefully, though, as Christians, we can look at our situations. We can look at the worst in ourselves and say, Jesus is greater And I am accepted in him. And so I can face the worst about me because I have the best of him. So that way is the motivation of the flesh. On the other hand, I can say, I want to preach well so people will be helped. That God will be honored. That truth will be known because God called us to this. And all we need to do is praise him. And whatever the results are, well, that's up to him. In the end, I have heaven, I have the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. 
And when we do that, we're free. We don't just know we're free because of Christ, but we walk in a manner that is free. We experience grace. We experience communion with God in a very intimate way. And as I said in the beginning, our hearts resonate with the struggle of the Apostle Paul for the good I wish I do not do, but I do the very evil I do not wish. Hardly a day passes that we do not mourn our lack of love. We do not mourn the fact that we fall into the same temptations that we fell into the day before. Sometimes we despair of any success at all. But as Paul was reflecting on this in Romans, remember what I read to you earlier. He wrote, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I didn't read to you the next part. The good news. The next thing Paul writes is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, I don't have to tell you that you have sin in your life that is keeping you from greater experiences of God's grace in communion with him. But you don't have to stay there. You can keep pressing on in the fight and have victory over the flesh, walking by the Spirit, producing much fruit to the glory of God. Why? Because Jesus has set us free. And we're not working to earn anything We're filled up with the love of God in Jesus Christ and the spirit dwells within us and the Lord has given us all that we need to grow and grow and grow. Now friends, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, we who are recognize where you are because we've been there too. We aren't any better. We aren't any more deserving. In fact, if I think about my life and compare it to yours, I could probably reason that you're far more deserving than I am. But God is merciful. And God is exceedingly kind and loving. And he calls on you to recognize who you are and to recognize what you've done as you continue to live by the flesh and ignore the spirit. You have offended a holy and righteous God, and in doing so, you deserve everlasting death. Apart from Christ, you cannot help but live for yourself. For only in Christ can you live for the good of others and the glory of God. But if you turn to God in faith, if you put your trust in him and repent of your sins, he will cleanse you. He will make you a new creation in Jesus Christ. He will not turn you away. He will not cast you down. He will love you. He will change you. He will make you whole. He will give you all that you need to walk by the Spirit. So the question for you is, will you run to Jesus? Will you take up the walk with the Spirit of God? I pray you will. For your good and for the glory of God.